Hello and happy new year. My name is Melanie Brown and this is the Virtue Podcast. I was wondering how you're doing with the resolutions you made earlier this month. I heard a statistic that most people give up on their resolutions after 22 days. So can I just encourage you that if you made a commitment to read through the Bible or join a small group or have a more consistent prayer life this year, keep it up. Don't stop. Perhaps some of you also made some new fitness goals. You want to exercise more, lose weight, or get toned. The gym I go to is bursting at the seams with new members, which is awesome. Everyone needs to start somewhere. So if you're new to virtue or returning to Bible study after some time away, welcome. We're glad you've joined us. Today, we're going to be looking at some important exhortations from James chapter 4. Exhortation means to strongly encourage, persuade, or warn. If you've been with us since the beginning of the study, you'll recognize that this is primarily a letter of instruction and correction for believers. It teaches us how to practically live out our faith, and it shows us what it looks like to be a genuine Christ follower. I heard this little pun about James years ago that stuck in my mind. It goes something like this. If you want to know how to get spiritually strong or how to build muscles of faith, then go to the gym. Did you get that play on words? Gym is short for James. Go to the book of James and you'll learn how to develop your spiritual muscles, gain strength, and work out your faith. As a person who's committed to health and fitness, I realize it's not enough for me just to join a gym or buy a pair of Lululemon leggings to get in shape. There are exercises that I have to be willing to do, habits that are good for me that I need to repeat, and then there are those things that I need to stop doing if I want to make progress. And likewise, if you want to make advancements in your Christian walk, It's not enough to just say you're a Christian. Genuine faith shows itself through a lifestyle that is aligned with God's word. James is really a great coach because he doesn't pull any punches and he tells it to us straight. He begins chapter four by diagnosing the problem of pride that wars within each one of us. And then he ends the chapter with giving us a solution. In verse 1, we're asked a question. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Why all the conflict? Have you noticed an increase in hostility these days? I don't think I need to point out the obvious. You know that if you turn on the TV to any news channel or scroll through social media or listen to talk radio, you'll hear people arguing, name-calling, and being disrespectful. Tension is high, patience is low, and criticism is prevalent. But James isn't asking the world this question. He says, why is it happening among you? He's addressing you and me, people who call themselves Christians. Why are we fighting? Why can't we get along? James tells us this war is coming from within us. It's a heart issue. Pride and worldliness are competing for a place in our hearts that only the Lord should occupy. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, addressed this same inner struggle. Paul says it this way, In my sinful nature, 
I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. There's this constant battle within, and that's because we have two competing natures, the flesh and the spirit. Do you know that salvation is an instant work? I mean, the moment we put our faith in Jesus to forgive us of our sins, he saves us. Our names are written in the book of life, and we have our ticket to heaven, so to speak. But the work of sanctification is a lifelong pursuit. Sanctification is the theological term that describes the change that happens within us over time. It's the process by which God develops our new nature, making us more and more like Jesus. And as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, God is growing, shaping, and transforming us into the image of Christ. But we have to remember that as long as we are in the flesh in these bodies of ours, we have a battle to fight. But the great news is that the Holy Spirit enables us to have victory over sin. James tells us that strife inside us comes from our own selfish desires. In one translation, it says, the conflict is coming from your hedonistic desires. Hedonism is a term that means to pursue pleasure. It's about gratifying your flesh or indulging in activities that will gratify your senses without regard for the consequences. Doesn't that sound like the culture we live in? It's all about instant gratification. Bigger is better. Give it to me faster, newer, and shinier. But this should not be the pursuit of a Christian. Now, don't get me wrong. James is not saying that it's wrong to desire pleasure in life. The Bible is full of examples of God's blessings that bring pleasure. He is speaking of those that are making pleasure the driving force and focus of their lives without any acknowledgement of God. The enemy has deceived so many people with the lie that pleasure, possessions, and position will satisfy them. It's that line of thought that believes, if I drive the right car, secure that dream job, lived in a house with X amount of bedrooms in this zip code, went on that kind of vacation, was involved in that kind of relationship, or weighed that number on the scale, then I'd be satisfied. Having possessions or owning nice things isn't the primary problem either. Some of the wealthiest people I know are also the most generous. It's not allowing your possessions to possess you. So what are you longing for? What are you pursuing? What are the affections of your heart? You know, those are good questions that we need to be asking ourselves. Psalm 107 verse 9 says, He satisfies the longing soul. Psalm 37 4 says that as we delight in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart. In Psalm 1611, it says, In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. You see, only a relationship with God through Jesus will truly satisfy. Every other pursuit will eventually leave you empty. But when you're in love with Jesus and you're pursuing Him, He fills you with so much joy and contentment. 1 John 2.15-17 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
The world is a term that refers to the evil system controlled by the enemy that leads us away from the worship of God. So when scripture refers to the world, it's not primarily talking about planet Earth, but rather the mindset of those who have rejected the God of the Bible and the authority of scripture. They've defined truth by their own terms or by the culture's standards, which are constantly changing. And they've chosen to live either independently from the God of the Bible or in opposition to God, his word, and his people. And then James uses some strong language that gets our attention. In verse 4, he says, You adulterers, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Wow, this is strong language, right? The lines are being drawn here. So who are you going to align yourself with? Are you choosing to be a friend of God or a friend of the world? You know, the original audience of Jewish Christians would have understood this exhortation perfectly. James was using Old Testament language that the prophets used when they would plead with the people to be faithful to their covenant, to trust God, to follow his statutes and live according to his ways. There was this constant urging to not follow the customs of the surrounding nations and or to worship other gods. And isn't that a word for us today? Don't be conformed to this world. Don't copy the behavior of the world. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Rather, let God transform you by changing the way you think. And the way you think will have a direct effect on how you speak, how you react, and how you live your life. That's why it's so important as believers to read, to meditate, and to memorize God's word. Otherwise, the world is so quick to fill our minds with its ideology. I don't know about you, but after looking into this passage, do you feel convicted? Because I certainly do. I think we can all say that we've given in to worldliness or worldly thinking or made worldly alliances, that we've been compromised. But Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength. And how many times have we tried to love both the Lord and the world? So what ends up happening is our love for Jesus has been half-hearted. So what's the cure? What are we to do? Well, We recognize that Jesus loves us. Jesus loves you. He longs for you. The Bible says that he yearns jealously for you. In verses 7 through 9, there's the prescription or the application of how to cure worldliness. And I made a list of just the action words that I saw there. And these would be exercises that we need to do to be spiritually strong, to submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, purify, weep, and to be humble. Submitting to God means laying down your pride and yielding to his wisdom and authority. Resisting the devil means not giving in to the schemes or the enticements of the enemy. It's recognizing and refusing to listen to his lies. Drawing near to God means intentionally practicing those spiritual disciplines of spending time in the word, praying, worshiping, and fellowshipping with other people, with other believers. 
Cleansing your hands and purifying your hearts speaks of repentance. Asking God to forgive you of those obvious sins you know about that others can see, as well as the hidden sins that lurk in your heart and in your thought life, like pride, jealousy, and apathy. Never be afraid to pray Psalm 139.23 that says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Another translation reads it this way. Lord, point out anything in my life that offends or displeases you in order that I can turn from it. We need to ask the Lord to purify our hearts. Otherwise, we'll ask and not receive because we ask with the wrong motives. But if we're praying according to the Lord's will, and our desire is to bring Him glory, then we can rest assured and be confident that He hears us and He will answer. As I wrap up this message, I recognize that verses 9 and 10 could be tricky if taken out of context. But really, it's the response to sin. I want to share a quick story with you. It was about 20 years ago. I was given the opportunity to give a five-minute devotion to our leadership team based on the memory verse found in the Bible study lesson. I'll never forget, I was assigned James chapter 4. And the weeks leading up to it, when it was going to be my turn, you know, the memory verses were so beautiful, encouraging. The ones you'd want to post on your refrigerator or put on a bumper sticker. Verses like, If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives graciously or love your neighbor as yourself. And then the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, and gentle. So I couldn't wait to see what my verse was going to be. And you'll understand my surprise when I finally get to my week and I open up the lesson and I read James chapter 4 verses 9 and 10. Lament. Mourn. Weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What in the world? I was thinking like, what the heck? Why is this the verse? But you know, I've come to love these verses because this is the response a believer should have over the recognition of their sin. There should be sorrow. We can't make light of it, laugh about it, or excuse it. It should break our hearts because sin breaks the heart of God and it should do the same to us. But in the breaking, there's a humbling that takes place, and God responds to that. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, He promises to lift us up. When we walk in humility, He promises to lavish us with His grace. You know, in closing, I pray that not only myself, but that all of us, would fall more and more in love with Jesus this year as we draw near to him. That God would captivate us by his beauty and his goodness and his grace. I pray that we would desire him above anything else. Will you make the resolution to align your heart with his? Let's purpose to give our attention and affection to those things that would bring him glory. And let's heed the exhortation to not seek the things of the world, but to pursue God and friendship with God. And let's apply those spiritual disciplines in our life that will make us strong for the battle and fit for the kingdom. God bless you girls.